Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass effect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gain, ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science. We're at Geek Girl Con, and I'm here dressed as Dr. Light with my co-host today, Raven. How's it going? I'm doing great. Okay. You are now my co-host because uh, Mr. Jordan has had his baby, so he's, he's at home taking care of his baby now, and we're enjoying ourselves here. Do you like Girl Geek Con, Raven? Uh, I love it. Do you love it? I do love it. So this is actually my daughter named Dory, but she's dressed up as Raven from Teen Titans. Girl Geek Con is a place where girls can celebrate being geeks and liking science and liking comics. And um, Do you like science and comics? Yes. Yes. Okay, she's eating an apple now. So we have seen lots of stuff. So explain what you are seeing here at the, at the conference. I was seeing science. What so kind of science? Science, chemical reactions. So they how have to a make, how to make a comet. It, it was really, it was really fun. Okay, so they have this uh, do-it-yourself science zone. So that's what Dory is talking about. What was the first thing you did at the do-it-yourself science zone? Oh, I. Was something with DNA. I did a DNA experiment. I did a DNA experiment. I, I I did DNA experiment with with the show. Food coloring. Oh, I, I kind of forgot the ingredients. Okay, all right. But you, what was the second thing you did at the DIY experiment section? I made a comet with with dirt and water and some sticky and some sticky stuff. What did it look like? It looked like a comet. <laughs> okay. Looks like a icy cold rock, really was it, dirty. Was real. It making, wasn't it making it sounds? Yeah, it was. It was kind of growling sounds. So, does liking superheroes and science that you see on TV, does that make you want to be a scientist? Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. What kind of scientist would you like to be when you grow up? I want to be a chemist, and I want to figure out about chemical reactions and how they work. Okay. So, is your mom a chemist? Me? Am I a chemist? No, she's a physicist. Okay. All right. What kind of science do you see on TV? Kind of science I see I see on TV is chemical reactions, magnetism, and well, all sorts of stuff. What kind of shows do this science? Well, Night the Science Guy. That's pretty much all. No, Beekman's World. Beekman's World. Said Wild science. Kratz. Wild Kratz. Animal Science. Uh, Sid the Science Kid? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say! Okay, you can say it now. <laughs> okay. I'm interviewing you. So what do you like- Yeah, something like that. So what do you like most about this convention? What do you like most about Geek Girl Con? Food. Food, she said food. So we're going to interview other scientists and we're gonna ask them what kind of stuff do they like that relate to comics and movies, TV, and the science that they see in pop culture. Are you, are you ready to be my, my co-host? Of course I'm ready. All right, so I just want to ask you a couple questions. First of all, what is your name and are you a scientist? My name is Meredith Rawls, and I am a scientist. In particular, I am an astronomer. Okay. So what are you doing here at Girl Geek Con? And then my second question is, do you like geeky stuff? So my primary role here at the convention is to volunteer in this do-it-yourself science zone, and I am, am making dry ice comets with kids and anyone who comes by and wants to get a hands-on comet-making experience. It's really fun because we use dry ice to make it freeze into kind of a solid blob, and it's a pretty realistic miniature version of a comet. So okay. that's been cool. And what was the second question? The second question was, 
do you like geeky stuff and did that influence you being an astronomer or wanting to be ah, an astronomer? Sure. So I grew up, as you can tell by my outfit, I love Star Trek. Right. So, so this is radio. So she is wearing Star Trek Next Generation and she's a captain by her it's pips. It's actually Star Trek Voyager. Oh, yes, it is yes. Voyager. Are you, and are you Janeway? Captain Janeway. Yes, oh, I am. Oh, love yeah. it. <laughs> so I loved her um, yeah. growing up and I, I watched Star Trek all through middle school and into high school. I never really got into the comics so much or the video games, but I have always liked science fiction and space and stuff like that. So that definitely influenced my decision to go into astronomy. Because you like geeky things and you actually are a scientist, do you feel pressures to like kind of be a stereotype or do you feel stereotype pressures of like, I've, I've heard that girls feel like they have to be cute and geeky or that geeky girls are, are too sexy or something like that. Do you feel those pressures at all? I personally don't very often because I don't usually flaunt my geekiness. It, I don't like hide it either, right. but you know, just in day-to-day -day life, right, I don't go around in a Captain Janeway outfit, um, right. for example. This convention <laughs> so, is really for that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this convention's a good opportunity to kind of change it up and, and do some of that stuff. Right. What do you think about the influence or the intersection between pop culture and science? Do you think there's a lot of misconceptions in pop culture? I don't have a. I don't really have anything in particular to say to that. I am not. I am not a pop culture expert uh. at all. Um, but I find little things that I like. I yeah. find you know niches of things that I enjoy. The people on the internet that I respect and enjoy talking to also like. And it's fun to kind of discover things that way. So, yeah. well, thank you. You bet. Geek Girl Con. I keep on wanting to say geek, uh, Girl Geek Con. Do you ever do you like mix them up constantly, or is that just me? It's GGC. Just, it's just it's just me. It's just me. All right, so I'm here with fellow scientists, and they're at the uh, DIY zone, which is the do-it-yourself science zone. And I want them to introduce themselves. Tell me what kind of science you do and other geeky things you are associated with. My name is Miles Traer. I'm a seismologist and overall earth scientist. I also run a science-y podcast called Generation Anthropocene. Check us out at genanthro.com. Yeah. Shameless plug. And uh, he's going to help plug us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I study basically the surface of the seafloor because we have better images of the surface of Mars than we do of our own seafloor. That's what my science is. It's true. We do. And then pass it over to our other scientist. So I'm Dawn Myers. I work at NASA and I do mission operations for uh, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. I've been there for about 18 years. So most of my geek interest is within NASA and all of the science that I work with. And then I also have over the last couple of years gone to different conventions and taking hands-on activities for kids to do while they're there. Wow. How many other conventions have you been to? That's my first question. For work, I yeah. have been, I don't know the exact number. I've been to Geek Girl Con once before, Emerald City Comic Con, WonderCon, and then I've done Awesome Con twice where we actually ran the entire kids zone. Uh, I've been to mostly Comic Cons. Uh, I've actually never been to San Diego Comic Con. I've been to Dragon Con. I've been to local Comic Cons, and this is my first time at Geek Girl Con. Did geek culture uh, inform me wanting to be a scientist? I would say in a lot of ways, yes, but in actually some pretty important ways, no. Mostly, yes, because like looking at even characters on Star Trek, which is probably the most famous one, but it was mostly comic book characters and superheroes, and I just got interested in thinking of superheroes not in terms of like Tony Stark as a scientist who becomes Iron Man. I was more interested in, is it actually possible to build the Iron Man suit? And that became much more interesting to me. Or the same thing like Batman. Could you actually build a bat suit or a bat plane? That was way more interesting. And I didn't know what the answer was. So I wanted to know more about it. And that was when I learned that like this is the big difference. Because in geek culture, there's a real value in knowing things. I know everything there is to know about character X or world Y or game Z, whatever it is. But in science, 
answers don't mean nearly as much. In science, it's way more important to know how to ask the question and what a good question is. And so that became the more driving force for me. For me, the, the geek culture definitely played into it. I grew up uh, watching Star Trek with my father. You know, I'd lay on the floor of the living room. Was while Star I Trek it. original series or yes, next Star gen? Star Trek original. Okay. He did. He did eventually get into the next gen, but it was it was mainly the original that that struck its struck its chord with me. And as I got older, it just I kind of fell into science and got really lucky in finding my path. And what is your science? It was NASA, you said. So. Yes, yes. So that makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Star Trek led me to NASA. Right. <laughs> I like that analogy, what, what Miles was saying about this curiosity that pop culture maybe made you even more curious. Um, did you find that to be true? Yes. I am, have always been the kid that from the time I could talk was, why, 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 why? I had to always understand everything. My daughter is the same exact way. She's been taking things apart since she could walk. It's just, it's always kind of been a driving force and it still is for me. Right. Um, my coworkers don't like it, but I kind of like it when things break because then we have to troubleshoot and I learn more as we fix them. Right. I don't like it when they break all the time, but right. every now and then it's kind of cool to have that opportunity to really kind of troubleshoot. I'm going to ask you both, what are the misconceptions about geekdom that bothered you or misconceptions that maybe you feel sometimes are too true? Uh, what about geekdom is overblown or what's too true? I mean, I think, and this isn't; these aren't my words. It's actually Chris Hardwick, who runs the Nerdist podcast, and he talks about this. And he said, "Nerddom, nerd culture, or geek culture." And I don't draw a distinction. Um, nerd culture and geek culture—it's not about what you love; it's how you love it. And I think that's a really big misconception of like what it is to be a geek. It's not just Star Trek. It's not just these these worlds that have been created that are sort of associated with geek culture like game of thrones is geek culture nasa is geek culture but there is sports geek culture there are all these different sort of cultures because people throw themselves into it head over heels that's geek culture yeah no i definitely agree with that um for me i think growing up my brother was a comic book collector and so i started going to conventions with him when i was little and so and kind of being surrounded by that because I idolized my big brother. And I always felt like, Sorry, on, which is why I, I support this convention, growing up I didn't feel like there was a female representation for me. There wasn't right. that, at, it did, there weren't many women at the conventions and there weren't, I didn't feel like I was as welcome. Right. But I your mean, brother was because he took you there. Exactly. Right. So, so we, it, it's. And I like that that is now a misconception in the sense that maybe then it was that way, but now I don't feel that way at all when I go to conventions. Now I completely feel like it doesn't matter right. who you are or what it is that you love. As long as you love whatever it is you're there for, that's all that counts. Right. I mean, and, and I like how you're talking about your brother because I think um, the misconception is that we don't have male allies either because obviously we're talking to Miles here. And there are, like he mentioned Chris Hardwick, who I love as well, and he's just very, Chris Hardwick and Nerdist is very, very much feminist-centric uh, and, then you know, very inclusive, racially, ethnic, conclusive, income-inclusive. So I really, I really like that. So is there anything else that you want to talk about related to this convention specifically or geekdom in, in general and how that intersects with science? Other misconceptions like bad movies? <laughs> oh, man. Bad All right. Let me get rolled in here. So speaking as a geoscientist, I will say that geologists, seismologists, pretty much across the board are horrifically represented in movies. And I love it. I love how badly they're represented because it always gives me an opportunity to talk about it and why it's so funny. But movies like Dante's Peak or Volcano, these are some of the most incompetent volcanologists you've ever met. In Prometheus, the new Ridley Scott movie that came out a little bit ago, the worst geologists ever are affiliated with that. San Andreas, Paul Giamatti does like full Paul Giamatti things and it's awful. Like no one talks like that. But I love, I, I actually don't mind it because I love that these characters show up at all because they're, they're at least trying to say, no, there is science involved in here. We got it all wrong, but there is something there. And getting it wrong actually allows you to have that conversation and, again, ask the question. 
is that right? Is that real? So I like that stuff, but it's, it's hilarious watching geosciences represented. I'm just laughing because I never thought of it that way. Because normally I'm staring at the screen and screaming because it's so awful and wrong. And my husband is yelling at me to relax. It's just a movie. <laughs> is your husband also a scientist? Um, he's an IT professional. So oh, computer. so he gets the brunt of it. Yes. Does he like the IT crowd? It's uh, a BBC show. It, no, no. So Dowd. He, he, it's really hard to get him to watch any okay, show that's not okay. like <laughs> random cooking shows. The representation is really frustrating for me, and, and I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, and so when I see like the female representation of us, I'm always like, really? I'm like, really? Come on. We are normal to an extent. So it's... Hey, I... Yeah. Miles and I are, are giggling and no, I, I agree with him that like I also cringe and I'm just like, Ugh! but I do. It's like it's up and down. It's like a roller coaster because you're happy that there's like, you know, um, a scientist or a physicist woman who isn't like, a, you know, a bee. But but you're also mad because they are talking about gravitational waves in interstellar and that the secret is love. Right. You know, so. and they, like one of the panels we're, I'm doing here is about scientists and pop culture and it's whether or not it hurts or helps us. And so um, I'm going I'll be to interested that. to see how that conversation yeah. goes. We were told to think about who our favorite representations were and our least favorite representations were. So I put out like a call on Facebook and Twitter to kind of see what people I was curious as to what other people's were. I, this this is might um, be totally off topic, but I like Adrian from Rocky. I like that she's a geek and she's like a nerd and she, you know, cares about reading and her, you know, Rocky loves that. Rocky loves a smart girl and you know he's not smart and so she is and and of course she's not a scientist, but it's very much geekdom. Like it has that kind of appeal to it. And yeah. I think I think she was kind of almost the first like geek that I can remember in like an old movie. That it was a woman and wasn't like seen as like she's ugly and she's undesirable because the toughest man in the world wants her. But thank you for talking to me. So we're here at Geek Girl Con, and I'm talking to Captain Marvel. She's awesome. We're going to have well, pictures on our Instagram so people can see what, um, who I'm talking to. And um, I want to start with what is your name and, and what kind of science do you do? Because I know you're a scientist as well. I am. In uh, real life, not Miss Marvel. Is she, it, well, Captain Marvel, is she a scientist? So uh, No, Captain okay. Marvel is an Air Force pilot, a former okay. Air Force pilot. It's the same thing. Um, yeah, right. She's a smart <laughs> rocket engineer, rocket scientist. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, my actual name is Tori Stenmark. I am an organic chemist. I got my degree at University of Washington, uh, master's degree, and now I teach at Shoreline Community College. Where cool. I teach chemistry, sort of whatever whatever chemistry they need me to teach, pretty much. Right. right. Is this the first con you've ever been to? No, I go to a lot of different conventions. I've been uh, I've been coming to cons since about 2007 or so. Okay. Uh, I've been cosplaying, dressing up since um, high school, and I knew I wanted to be a scientist when I was in first grade. So the science came first, and the costumes followed. Right. Okay, awesome. I also like to dress up, but uh, probably not as, as long as you have. I've been asking our guests a few questions, and one of the mm -hmm. questions was, has the geeky stuff that you've loved, the pop culture, has that affected you wanting to become a chemist? Or going into chemistry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, I, I knew from first grade I wanted to be a scientist. That's sort of always been a thing I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can really pin down a what I started to really get into the science fiction kind of thing, but it's probably also from childhood. I do know that some of what attracts me to science is the stuff I like to read. So, like, I'm, I'm a scientist. I want to know why. I want to ask good questions. Right. And We've been getting that good a lot. Answer, good ans answers. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I love about science fiction is that it can do that, that it can be, let's... Let's tell stories about what if you, you know, faster than light travel or whatever, and you take the science and you extend it a little bit. And so that's kind of fun for me to see how do we go beyond that? Right. How do we get to something a little bit different? Um, right. So what, what's the geekiest stuff you like? I mean, you said that you like Captain Marvel, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. yes. But that's, uh, you, you mentioned earlier when we were not talking on radio 
that it was it was a recent thing. So yeah, um, so I've been into science fiction and fantasy since I was a little kid, really. Um, but I fell into the comic books probably about three years ago. Now okay. I saw panels from Captain Marvel and just. Um, She's she grew up wanting to be an astronaut. She grew up wanting to go into space. And, you know, so did I. And so it was sort of when I found that there was this character that felt so much like me. I just it's, you know, head over heels and, and haven't fallen out of love since and probably never will. So <laughs> Do, so um, is yeah. there a part of geek culture that maybe feels stereotypical so I, I was asking questions on Facebook and one of them said as a girl who likes geeky things who likes nerdy things they wanted to know if you feel like you are pressured to be cute or sexy and if that like stereotype is kind of pushed on geeks that are female as well yeah yeah I, it's certainly out there yeah. it's certainly you know the the fake geek girl concept which right. you know destroy that with fire yeah um abs love what you love talk about what you want to talk about don't let anyone tell you that you can't or shouldn't or anything like that that is i hate that whole concept i have never gotten any flack for anything you know i have i have gotten people that seem you know to be paying attention to me because i'm in a fancy dress or because i look pretty or whatever um but i've never gotten somebody i've never gotten pressured to look cute right it's certainly there in in my everyday life as a chemistry teacher so i teach community college and i look fairly young so there are definitely times when i will dress you know business formal or business casual which is at community college, most of the teachers just wear casual clothes, jeans and t-shirts or, or dress shirts or whatever, nothing fancy. But I will sometimes dress formal to to carry that authority with me. But I see a lot more of that in the everyday world than I do in geek culture, honestly. Like here in geek culture, I can show up in, you know, I, I really love this outfit, but it is a gymnastic leotard and, <laughs> and high, thigh high boots like it is. Yeah. And nobody has taken me any less seriously for it. Right. Um, you know, in fact, they're looking at it as as this fabulous character who is such a strong, powerful character who is feminine, but not, I mean, she's not overly feminine. She's not aggressively feminine, but, you know, you have that. And nobody has ever, it, it's a perfectly fine thing to embody all of that, to embody femininity and power and intelligence. And so... And I realize this isn't, isn't everyone's experience, but my experience has been that geek culture is very, very welcoming of that. Right. Um, that's so also, I feel lucky. <laughs> that's also been my experience. Oh, good. And we were actually talking to other people about this and how it's not only a boy's world anymore. And, no, not and, at all. And not, especially not at this con, right? Right. But I think that even at Emerald Con, even at mm-hmm, cons that mm-hmm. aren't specifically geared towards females, do have a very welcoming um, demeanor to them. Yeah. And there's a lot of male, yeah. white male allies. <laughs> Which we need more of. I right. mean, you know, we, we the marginalized, need to be speaking up more and more. But we also need allies. And, and I do, you know, I, I carry a lot of privilege being a white female. And so I try and speak up for that when I can and yeah. that kind of thing. I, I commend everyone. I think, I think awareness in geek culture is very good. Yeah. About yeah. all those, all underprivileged groups. Now, another question that I got on Facebook was, what would you be saying to young people like my daughter over there who come to these cons um, what do you talk to, how do you talk to them about science and how do you get them to think about pop culture and science and I don't know, not get them confused when it's bad science or how to get and not say anything. I don't know. What, what's your advice to little kids who like science and also like geekdom? Keep it up, you know, like, like both of those things and keep going. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, there's definitely a time in which you should think critically about things. And there's also absolutely <laughs> times when it's okay just to love something because you love it, because it is amazing or, you know, because it, it speaks to something in you or whatever. Yeah. Um, I know I do see little girls at the science zone, you know, four-year-olds who are excited about science. I get pre-teenagers, pre-teens. Sorry. Yeah. So I do see um, pre-teens who tell me, girls who tell me, oh, I want to be a scientist. I want to be in this branch or that branch of science. And I love it. Um, and I just try and tell them, yes, go for that. Do that. Great. Um, I want to be a positive, encouraging force. Um, I do the same thing. So I volunteer with a group we call Comic Book Characters for Causes. We raise money for children's charities. Um, and we also go do like hospital visits, that kind of thing. Um, and so when I get to meet little kids and you, you get that age where maybe they believe you're the superhero, maybe not, you're not sure, (laughs) but they're excited anyway. And I always try and tell them, you know, do me a favor, grow up and be a hero. 
And um, I do that when I dress as Captain America. I do it as, as Ms. or Captain Marvel. And to me, that's an incredible trust that, you know, that I've chosen to dress like this. And that means that I have that authority. Right. And so I try never, ever to abuse it. And with, you know, carrying science, I always... I make a point to acknowledge that it is science, you know, it's not, right. and then the magic happens. It's, it's science. <laughs> it's I, not Gandalf. Right, exactly. And so I always try and explain what we're doing, what I'm seeing, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so. And you also mentioned that you make your costumes too. I sure do, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I and I think that that's something um, that we, that I really admire because I, I think that I might, I might be, I probably am older than you. And when I was growing up in the eighties, there was very much of a feminist and it was very, very one dimensional. If you Mm -hmm. want to be a feminist that you have to be all these things. And I think now, um, I think now it's very more three dimensional. You're a three dimensional person. (laughs) You sew, but you're also a chemist and you're also like geek stuff. And you also probably like a million other things (laughs) and you're very complex and it's not a, you can be a feminist and be many things, not and not wear, you know, big yeah. shoulder pads and yeah. have to be in advertising. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually find a great deal of overlap. So I've done a lot of custom dyeing for fabric to get exactly the right color, to get a good transition between colors. I keep a lab notebook. I use my organic <laughs> chemistry skills. Awesome. I keep a detailed lab notebook. I actually go into school and borrow the analytical balances so I can get, you know, four decimal places to precision when I'm massing out those dyes right. and then go dye it. And so... Right. Particularly there, there's a great deal of overlap for me between being specifically a chemist and being a costumer. Wow, that's, um, that's awesome. Yeah, and, I have and, fun with it. And you're, you're showing that things that were seen as traditionally female, we don't have to say that they're bad. We can no. embrace that. Exactly. And we can like other things. Exactly. Like, there's nothing All things wrong. are good. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. And thank you for talking to us because I know you have to get back to the DIY zone. I and, do. And uh, thank you for talking to us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm Keena McAllister. I'm the founder of STEMBOX, which is subscription science kits for girls. And every month we deliver science experiments that are targeted for girls ages 7 to 13. And we try to hit all of the STEM topics in STEM. Um, We've been going for about a year now. And here I am at Geek Girl Con with you talking about it. (laughs) So STEM, just for our listeners that aren't, you know, involved in, in this kind of work is science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into science, technology, engineering, or math? Okay, I grew up actually really into science. And I can remember this because I was probably six or seven when I begged my parents for a microscope. And they got it for me for Christmas one year. And everything that like year was just poking people for blood. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know what my parents (laughs) were thinking, but they did something right because here I am. Um, And then that kind of just followed through elementary school, getting involved in our science program. And I will admit, I kind of wandered away from it in middle school and high school because that's when you start to become very like aware of what all the other people are doing around you. Right. And you're trying really hard and you're too self-conscious about like what everyone else is doing to do what you really want to do. So it wasn't until college that I got really back into it and I decided to major in general science and that was where I decided I wanted to be a researcher. Um, Scientific research is really cool because even if you make mistakes you're learning from it. I really really like the idea of helping people. Um, I've always thought that with all of the opportunity I've had and I've had a really great support system for my family and I've had a ton of opportunity and I feel like people like me, people with these opportunities have I mean, other people don't have to do this, but I feel like I have an obligation to make things better for people around me or people coming after me. And so research just seemed like the perfect way to do that, to find some sort of cure for something that might make lives better and um, alleviate suffering. Right. So um, I got into virology, which I thought was super cool. It was this class. And I found out the day of the class that I like had made it onto the list because it was full (laughs) and I had bought all my marine biology textbooks. And then they're like, oh, you're in like virology. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. So the science of or the study of viruses? Viruses. Viruses are crazy. People. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
They're so cool. Like cool, crazy. I'm a hypochondriac, so <laughs> I don't find them cool. I find them crazy. I think the science behind them is really interesting because they're basically just proteins with DNA in them. And so what's interesting is that some scientists won't even call them living, mm-hmm. even though they're they're basically like little computers in my mind. It's like they're just self-replicating. And wow, it's just weird. They have... They're like organic nanobots. Yeah, essentially. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. So it's really cool. And I just love the idea that like some scientists are like, this is alive and other people are like, no. So anyways, I followed that around and I've always had this really intense interest in HIV. In that class, I got a lot, a lot of chances to learn about it and figure out what about it I think is so interesting and like learn the mechanisms behind it and everything. And that really helped me when I was applying for jobs because I had a hard time getting into a research lab because I went to a small school and there are just not a ton of opportunities. What school did you go to? Seattle University. It's a Jesuit school. And I would totally recommend. Yes, my sister went there for law school. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. They have a great, great, I just love everything Jesuits do. I think it's so well-rounded. But anyways. As we (laughs) go into science and religion, let's get back. So you're at at Seattle U. There's not a lot of research going on. There's not a lot of big research space and there just wasn't a ton of opportunity at that school for research so it was fortunate that I was into this virology class that was very specific and then when it came time for me to write my senior thesis I wrote it on the disruption of CXCR4 and CCR5 on T-cells to prevent I don't know what any of that is (laughs) they're the receptors (laughs) on the surface of T-cells that HIV needs um, in addition to CD4 to infect a cell okay Um, it's one or the other but yeah that was Probably the best thing I did because it was a gene therapy based research um, project. And then when I was looking for jobs, I found the lab that I worked at for two years. They had been doing this research and I had actually cited them in my senior thesis and I didn't know that they were in town. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. And I just followed this PI, Hans Peter Kiem. He's amazing. He does tons of bone marrow transplant biology and yeah. um, just went to his lectures and I asked him, a ton of really annoying questions that were way above <laughs> the level of where he was trying to hit people because yeah. he's trying to do public lectures. And I was like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this receptor or this kind of theme- gene therapy? And yeah. he was like, who is that weirdo in the back? Yeah. Um, and so when I went back to a second lecture, he remembered me. And then I asked him if I could wash dishes for his lab because I'd never worked in a lab. Right. And he said, sure, we always are looking for great people. Why don't you just come and turn for a while? And then they taught me everything in wow. three months. It felt like I'd learned more in that first year than I had learned in like your entire college experience. It's insane how that works. She's I guess nodding an- for the radio <laughs> listeners. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. It's, but it was crazy, and it was the best experience I've ever had, and I actually just had my last day at this lab on um, Friday. And oh, wow. I think I mentioned this to you, but I was like yeah. super excited to go off and do Stembox, but I was, <laughs> I was packing up my stuff, and the whole week I just kind of not thought about it, and I was pretty pumped and then on the last day I was saying goodbye to everybody and I was like oh my gosh I'm crying (laughs) what am I doing because I'm so sad to leave research right it's a huge change in what I've my self-identity is um, right to leave that to do something else which is still stem related but it's that's just where my passion has lied for so long and it's so important to do stem box now to me to get other girls to that point that I think it's necessary for me to step back for a minute at least right and then do this and it, i think and you know i don't know if you need want to listen to me or not but research will always be there right i mean that experience that you can go back to that lab and you still have that experience and things will change but um you can still honestly you're you're you know your company will get big and you can just do that <laughs> for you can just intern again maybe you know? yeah maybe they'll just <laughs> let me poke around and make yeah. more drugs and <laughs> sorry I, because yeah. it's a hiv research we have to make the drugs for our, oh, okay and um, our studies um right so if yeah, I say drugs, <laughs> I'm talking right. about Raltegravir, Tenofovir, right. and You don't mean meth. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, so tell me more about the stem box. So you, yeah. you're, you're doing research, you're helping like HIV drugs, and I know there's a vaccine project that's happening in Seattle as well. And now you're you're trying to get more and more young like young people, right. young women interested in STEM. And, and have you gotten any feedback from the people that are actually ordering your STEM boxes? Yes. So um, it was earlier this year that I hosted our first workshop to kind of test it because I had been buying components for the first box and just storing them. And I okay. thought, okay, I need to try this. So yeah. we hosted a workshop for 20 girls at Hive Bio Community Lab, which okay. is a really awesome resource for anybody who's interested in going into a lab space and running your own experiments check them out but we got 20 girls um 
they actually all signed up on the same day. <laughs> oh, wow. It was crazy. There were that's very, we, that's very like concert ticket kind of. Um. Yeah, <laughs> we had openings for probably four days. And then I think we landed on some Microsoft email and then they sold out in like hours. And <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. OK, parents like this. And they didn't know me. And they didn't know who I was, but they were willing to send their kids to our workshop. So which is great. So what's the age of this workshop roughly? It was probably girls from ages six to 12 I would wow, say wow that's a big range it, it was it was really cool to see them working alongside each other and making friends and helping each other yeah so it was great we did strawberry DNA extraction for that workshop so we did a quick lesson and then they got to move from the lesson space and transition into a lab space and that's really great because you can see their mindset shift and then be in science mode and they take things pretty seriously because they're all really giggly during the lesson and they have a good time and then they're just serious <laughs> and they get into a lab that's and awesome though. it's so great to give girls that authenticity right. I think that's a huge part because there's a lot of imposter syndrome surrounding girls who are in stuff that they feel like they shouldn't be there right and if you can give them everything they can to make them feel like this is you this is part of the realistic experience they will be way more comfortable going in in the future. Yeah, let, let's for our listeners just take a second and like kind of explain what imposter syndrome is because that's something really huge that um, that is getting a lot of advertisement or like getting a lot of publicity right. nowadays. So go ahead and yeah, let, I'll let you I'll, explain it. My um, I guess like I've heard plenty of podcasts about it, but my limited <laughs> understanding of what I would say, I've never been asked to talk about it. That's all right. Um, it's just that you're doing something and you are the right person to be doing it or you are credible enough to be doing it. But like women, especially sometimes just feel like, you know, I'm faking it. Like this isn't right. what I am. So when I was in science, um, even though I was in a research lab, I had a really hard time telling people I'm a scientist. Right. And I was like, when can I identify as that without feeling like I earned that or something right um and it was this huge question I've always had and it's just this feeling like you are faking it and yeah I have a PhD in physics and a focus in astronomy but I have the same problem you know I I, I don't know if I should say I'm a real astronomer a real physicist because I don't um keep up that well with research right. so in my realm as a professor if you're not really doing research you're kind of seen as you know you're not really contributing even though like I mean I busted my butt to get you know that PhD and, mm -hmm. and it, it is that imposter syndrome is very very heavy on mm -hmm. me as well and but I've met so many of my colleagues who are male and they actually feel the same thing it's just I feel like our society trains them better in having uh, to deal with it yeah like kind of like we're just honest <laughs> like women yeah. are just like I feel <laughs> crazy right now or yeah you know, we'll, we'll say what we're feeling but yeah. I think Men are not. I think they're that. trained to be like to either like overcompensate yeah. for the like the right. deficiencies they feel they have. And then that kind of which is the remedy for imposter syndrome is kind of to like <laughs> fake it till you make it. Right. And just, right. Like, is what I was going to say. Yeah. Right. And there's a great yeah. podcast or TED talk about it. Like, right. I don't, you've probably seen it. I have not. No? But oh, okay. um, but I yeah, I do want to bring this up because um, like I said, it, my male colleagues um, have it, but also I'm, you know, I'm a woman of color and I think people from any underrepresented group will feel that like, you know, you, when you're somebody of color, you're always told that, you know, the reason you're in college is because of quotas or, you know, affirmative right. action. So like when you're flat out told that, and women are told that too, for like grants and stuff, um, when you're told that it, it just circulates in your mind mm -hmm. over and over again. Did I really earn this? Which is yeah. what you're saying. Yes. And I've, I've still felt that way, even like as a female entrepreneur now, right. When people invite me to things sometimes and they're like, Oh, we need more women and to plug into these slots. And right. I'm like, Oh, right. Right. <laughs> so do you think what I'm doing is cool or am right. I just, you know, threshold for what is acceptable because I'm a woman. Right. Um, and the other thing too is I'm Hispanic. And so right. what's strange awesome. about growing up and like in school, like I had a really hard time. It sounds bad, um, but I had a hard time owning up to like my heritage because I am a mixed, um, like I'm half white, half Hispanic. I'm, I'm half Mexican, half Chinese. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. Whoop. Yeah. So are you it, Mexican, Hispanic? Yeah, oh, Mexican. Oh, Mexican. Okay. Yes. I grew up being told, you know, like people will judge you for certain things if right. you are Hispanic and if somebody's in trouble or they feel like, you know, something bad has happened, you might be someone they go to first if they know that you're like outwardly Hispanic. It's true. It's yeah. tr it's very weird because 
also, I mean, I'm looking at you now and people might not be able to guess that, right? Yeah, which is why it was easier for me to hide it if I was uncomfortable with it in school. We can pass, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, Which is really sad. It is, but (laughs) it's like that weird thing where you're like, I don't socially feel comfortable with people knowing because I don't want people who don't know me to make assumptions about me. So I told my friends and my friends know and people close to me, but people I don't know, I don't feel comfortable with them knowing because I don't welcome any of those stereotypes. Um, I completely understand (laughs) what you're saying. Um, I mean, obviously we didn't have the exact same um, experience, but I grew up in Linden, Washington and it's a very conservative town. And I remember people straight up just thinking I was Asian and then when they thought when they found out I was Mexican as well and I mean not just a little like half right (laughs) you know that was um it was it was crazy I used to get comments like you're only good at science because you're Asian and I was like well I'm actually not that good and I'm Mexican oh well that's why you're getting B's oh my god right like so that's how it's like that's why I'm getting B's instead of A's yeah I'd rather just look like some sort of mix of hybrid whatever not let you know what it is and let you judge me as like Right. My ability and who I am. <laughs> but but I do see a lot of students. So I'm a professor at Western and I do see a lot of students who um, are Hispanic mm-hmm. and they see me. And once they find out I'm Mexican, they just flock to me. And really? they're, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like suddenly I'm, you know, somebody they can talk to. Suddenly I'm somebody they can identify with. Because even though I don't look Mexican, I've had that okay. family. I've had that ex- family experience. I have similar heritage that they do. I have similar stories about crazy ants. So it. I feel that that's really important. Like you were saying, like we're torn, right? We do we say something because we don't want to fall in stereotypes, or do we say something because it's really going to bring people yeah. into science? And I felt like I had to wait until I had the credibility or right. something really cool to share with people to be like, I, you know, embrace yourself. Um, right? Maybe I wasn't uh, the best role model in the beginning for you know embracing your heritage or whatever, but it was again that fear of being judged. But now. Right feel like I have a lot of really awesome accomplishments to stand on where I can say, you know, I am Hispanic and I right. own these things and I am proud of them and I want other Hispanic girls to feel the same way. Right. Um, same with just women in general, like especially right. in science. It's just I felt like I had a lot of overcompensating to do to earn whatever not involved. Right. <laughs> so, like any credibility I felt like I had, I felt like I had to overcompensate a lot right. to feel comfortable with identifying as a scientist yeah i think this is awesome and actually there's sacness have you ever heard of that i don't think so society for the advancement of chicanos and native americans in science okay and they help with um basically promoting underrepresented minority scientists oh and and get them into leadership roles like ceo so i think you're right I, i have that piece of paper that says phd and for some reason that gives me enough confidence into telling these these students and these other faculty members so i um i meet other professors who are hispanic and they're as soon as they find out i'm mexican they instantly get happier and they're like somebody else to talk to right, so exactly so i've i've embraced it more and sackness has really helped me do that actually oh that's great okay cool so. i'll have to look into them for sure before we we go and you get back to your booth i want to talk about geek girl con this is your first time here it is yeah okay and do you love geeky stuff i, I mean, do do you identify with the audience here i it took me a little bit longer i grew up in las vegas um okay <laughs> maybe that sets well, the tone for my childhood the star trek experience was there for a while and then it got closed i had so like zero recollection of that i know you were probably 10 uh, so go well. ahead <laughs> so sorry that's all right <laughs> um but yeah i grew up in las vegas so there's a very different idea of fun and like it's just different. Right. So yeah. I'm not going to try and describe that. But I will like suffice it to say being geeky and nerdy was not the cool thing to do in right. Henderson when I grew up. When I came to Seattle and I went to Seattle U, I started to meet people who were really comfortable with themselves and really comfortable with their um, interests. Right. And so they started introducing me to a lot of stuff. So things like Magic the Gathering. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a super fun game. And I have so many cards everywhere in my house now. Yeah. So that's one of the things where I totally identify. And then there's just a bunch of like, I guess you call them like some cult things that people really like um, yeah. here in town. Uh, stuff like Joss Whedon stuff. Yes. The, um, the Whedon universe. The I was Whedon-verse. about to say like Firefly, you mean? Yeah. I started to watch Firefly and I, I was like, I get it. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. So I see these little girls and I am so proud of their parents and them for, 
you know, embracing their interests without any sort of, you know, judgment or like, no, you should be interested in this. Cause like right. a little girl came dressed up as silver surfer and I was just thinking, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And not that my parents didn't like embrace that for me. I think it was more just the, the culture of the city, but, right. um, you know, it kind of beats it out of you, even if your parents are like, you're great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can, I can see what you're saying yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my daughter is six and her friends and her cousins that are a little older, they talk about, it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy, you can dress up with whoever you want. I can I be Spider-Man. That. And I'm like, wow, who like, our world is getting so much nicer. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so great. It's so great. I think it really like the culture of everything that has existed before this really like accepting period of time that we're getting into. I feel like that culture of telling boys they can't like girly things really just kind of squashed any sort of emotional um, maturity, maturity that boys felt like they could have or openness. Um, So like in movies, like boys aren't supposed to cry. Superheroes don't cry. Right. But you see a lot of girls really like connecting with their emotions and like with some of the toys they have. And of course there's also that other side of it. Like the girls are missing out on a ton of this technical stuff. The boys are getting, Um, but today I feel like we're definitely going towards something where the boys are being encouraged to explore what the girls have had and I, and vice versa, of course. Um, Right. But, I love that. I love seeing yeah. that men are, you know, growing, boys are growing up into these men that are very in touch with their emotional sides. Uh, well, I, I think it has a lot to do, of course, with the mothers, but with the fathers. Yes. I think there's sensitive fathers out there. There's the hipster dad, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I mean, even before that, they were, you know, my, my husband's very, very sensitive right. um, and very much motherly, you know, and, uh, and that's okay. Yeah. And it was, you know, in the 70s, there was a, an album called free to be you and me. So our listeners can look up that album free to be you and me. And it's, it was in the seventies and my husband listened to it when he was a kid. And it's very like feminist equality, you know, stories. And my daughter listens to it every night too. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so as far as like Stumbox being a geek girl con goes though, the side of Stumbox that I'm trying really hard to really accentuate is the fact that, Girls have really diverse interests and we should be fostering that. And sometimes those interests do include the less conventional gross things. Right. And it doesn't make anybody less girly to be into them. If I think in fact it just makes them this more awesome, well rounded, less boxed up person right. who you can't define, which is I think what people are. I don't think people are very definable yet we do it anyways. And so for girls, it's super important to be like letting them decide what they're into into, but giving them the opportunity to choose from a wider range. Right. So there's totally nothing wrong with girls are being interested in makeup and hair and dresses. Cause I, I love that stuff. Right. Um, yeah. It might not look like it today. No, no. I, <laughs> and day I, two of a convention. And I do too. And I, I feel like it's okay for my daughter to like Disney and princesses, but she also likes Batman and she also likes teen Titans. Yeah. You know? And it's okay. It's okay to be a, like you said, a well-rounded person. Yeah. And they're not mutually exclusive. I think that's the biggest takeaway from Stemox for me is just that this is yet another option for girls to explore an interest they might have that they might otherwise have been told is not for them. So seeing all these little girls at Geek Girl Con running around in their Marvel superhero outfits and- With a tutu. With a tutu, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, oh, they're so cute. Um, and then coming by the science zone, cause we're in the DIY sci zone. Right. Which is an amazing, amazing, I've never seen anything like it. No, it's, the they don't have to. that at Emerald Con, which is um, what my daughter also goes to. And I was very impressed. Yeah, and the setup, the people there are so cool. And the experiments they have are awesome. I'm really honored just to be a part of it for them letting me be like, hey, can I hang out? Yeah. Um, so seeing little girls running around in these cool outfits and then you see their injections, like you said, of tutus or like their their other interests shining through. And right. that's exactly like that's what Stumbox wants is like we want to like connect science to what they're interested already in, but um, without limiting it to makeup and soap. So we try to get like right. fun accessories that they might also be like, oh, I love plushies. And I also love digging apart in owl pellets, which is owl vomit and finding dead rodent bones right <laughs> and that's what you were doing at the DIY which my daughter loved yeah we way. had a <laughs> thank you um yeah. glad she liked it yeah um but it, oh there was a girl who's like I think I don't know about this this looks pretty gross and she was at our booth yesterday for like an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> well see, that's what I love and you were saying okay so let's let's give our listeners just a visual of what the stem box is and then right. we'll give them 
the uh, address so they can go there. Oh, right. Yeah. The boxes contain everything that is needed for an experiment. And I prefer for them to be kind of messy hands on. And it's less of a technical lesson, I think, than an emotional connection to the science in the box, because that's really important going forward if you get knocked down to keep going. Um, And we also include fun accessories. So in our first DNA box, we have these really cute anthropomorphized DNA-based stickers, like TGA and C, and they have smiley faces, but it's the correct um, molecular configuration for all of these things. Wow. And it's this really cool idea, but we also have, um, and those are made by biochemies. Um, They also make plushies that connect where the hydrogen bonds are with magnets in them. Whoa. It's really cool. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then we also have like temporary tattoos in that box, and then in the owl box, we have plushies, and every box comes with a pin that's collectible so the girls can fashion it however they want on their backpacks or their necklaces or their clothes so um yeah it's those are the boxes and we also produce videos that highlight women in stem to kind of compensate for the lack of female role models in the field right not that there aren't any but they're not being pushed to the level of spotlight that they ought to be in my opinion right i think we need more women who look who are as popular as Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson or Carl I Sagan. I agree. That's my goal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I want to highlight some of the cool women in the fields related to the boxes. So they talk about their experience getting into that field. And the other thing is that we want girls to know there are a lot of different jobs in STEM that you can do. And right. it's not just like being in a lab for your rest of your life. There's yeah. tons of ways to be involved in STEM. And that's what I want to show them. So that's what our product looks like right now. It will hopefully continue down that road. And we're still like figuring out our brand a little bit, but Mm -hmm. um, because we're super new. We're introducing our third box soon. Um, It is lemon powered LED bulbs and it's sponsored by Greenworks. Um, Wow. (laughs) That sounds awesome. It's very exciting. I'm really excited to work with them because they have their own STEM initiative too, which they're really, really good about introducing STEM concepts to girls through different bloggers and stuff. But yeah, we are taking our subscription orders now. We have three month, six month and one month subscriptions available. And you can find that at mystembox.com. (laughs) <laughs> Excellent. And just go to our, like, our subscribe page and then it'll take you to our domain for shopping and you can look at that stuff there. And yeah, that's... <laughs> well, I wish you all the best and I Thank really you. hope this blows up and we will put it on our website and I, I hope all the best for you. Thank and you so much for talking. Oh, I think thank this you was great. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did too. And I, you know, this is, this has been really great for me. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Our producer is Eric Faburetta. The engineer today is Nathan Miller. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I wrap your thing, iodine, nitrate, activate. Right your radio, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.